We are back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thanks for joining us. Sean Fitz, along with Tyler Donahue, as always, recapping Penn State's win over Wisconsin, 22-10 to at a blustery Beaver Stadium. It was a cold one, man. I mean, it was 60 degrees last week, and then it, uh, when I woke up on Saturday, it was snowing, and the lots were closed. It was just a pretty miserable setup, but... Penn State comes through with the win. They're 7-3. and three. They're putting some space between them and the rest of the conference as Ohio State and Michigan have put the space between everyone else. Um, so it, it, it's trending in the right direction. Penn State, a, a legitimate chance to run the table, should run the table and, and finish 9-3. and three. Expectations being what they are, a, a little bit short, but still you get out with a, against a quality Wisconsin team, which I, I hesitate to say quality because of the quarterback play and the lack of a passing game and they're all banged up, but still. A win over Wisconsin's a win over Wisconsin, Penn State 7-3, and three, and that's the bottom line. Yeah, and coming off of the Indiana game a month ago, you looked ahead of these three games, uh, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, and, and I think at that point, if you said they go 2-1, and one, you take it you know, based on where the team was at that time, a dicey game in Indiana, the loss the week before Michigan State. So I think they are in a good spot. The Michigan game is always going to be a tough one uh, to look back at uh, for that team and for Penn State fans. But you know, I think it was the performance that they really needed, and, and the biggest thing that stood out, aside from the continued ascension of this defense, and we've talked about it week after week now, they are you know a major silver lining in an up-and-down t- uh, season has been the de- development of that defense. But what you walk away from Saturday and that freezing game with the wins, there was some consistency, there was some cohesion in that offense, there was balance, uh, there was a high completion percentage for the first time in a long time through the passing game. Uh, so I think it, overall, you look at this game as a step forward, I, you know, regardless of Wisconsin and had the, what they've done this season and, and not living up to their expectations. It was Penn State that I think separated themselves in this matchup. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. It, it really felt sort of like the Iowa game. Like we said it last week, it was probably going to be a carbon copy, and it really was right down to the Nick Scott uh, interception there at the end of the game. Very quickly, game balls. I don't think you can go anywhere else but Miles Sanders. You know, Trace McSorley played probably his most accurate game in a while, but Miles Sanders, they finally gave him the ball. They gave it to him 23 times, 159 yards on the ground. His patience, when you see him running the ball, um, it, it, it's it's at another level. I mean, you, you're used to Saquon doing what Saquon did, um, but uh, when you when you turn around, and you watch Miles Sanders. Very different running style. He's doing the things he needs to do to to find those holes, and then he's finishing off runs. He looked really good on Saturday. He's an outstanding running back, and and he's shown that when given opportunities. And um, you know, a career high for carries. It felt like it needed to be that kind of game where you got him involved to that extent. Um, I, I, Twenty three carries is, is a really good number for Miles. Sanders at this stage of the season Um, his 159 rushing yards uh, that's more than he had in the three previous games combined so major confidence booster for him in the offensive line and uh, he's really by the way followed the footsteps of Saquon Barkley every postgame media session whether it's a good result or a bad result talks about how much he appreciates that offensive line and that was 80 percent of what he said after this game I'm telling you was the love he had for that group and how happy he was that they were able to turn a corner a little bit uh, and we'll talk about that plenty more to come. But Miles Sanders, slam dunk pick for for this, you know, award. I guess we'll call it. No, no one gets anything from this. We get a little bit of satisfaction, I suppose. And he's talking now after the game, which if you've covered him in high school, or you, you go way back with Miles Sanders. wasn't wasn't a big talker. Defensively, there's a couple guys that could get in there. 
Defensive player of the week in the Big Ten, Robert Windsor had a pair of sacks. I'm going to go with Sharif Miller. I thought Sharif was was more of a game wrecker than uh, than, than Windsor, and Windsor played very well in the middle. Um, you, you know, Miller had two sacks. Um, probably could have had a half a sack on one that was awarded to Windsor. Put the pressure on. Maybe it's just because he didn't secure the football and he fumbled uh, late in the game. He didn't get the uh, the big uh, the, the Big Ten player of the week. But I thought Sharif Miller been saying it all year is playing better than the stats uh, showed, and on Saturday. That stat line showed that he's a, he's a heck of a football player. Yeah, I'll stay on the defensive line, and Miller's a great choice. I'll go with Windsor, who was the pick for, as you said, conference player of the week. Um, and, and you know, there's a lot of talk about you know he's a Wisconsin native, 45 minutes away from campus. In fact, during the post game, there was a little too much talk about that. Uh, but that's for another story. But I will go Windsor here, two sacks. But I think it's important to note that both him, Miller, everybody up front right now, I feel like, is getting some residual. Uh, effect from what Etor Grossmatos has become, which, as we said, I think he is certainly making the case for a first-team all-conference candidacy at defensive end, um, and he got a lot of respect. Uh, we saw this Wisconsin offensive line loaded with, with All-Americans, uh, double teams applied to Etor, and even when he was taken out of a play, that's freeing up space for his other uh, guys to work, and I think that paid off for, for everyone involved. And that's two weeks in three now. Uh, where a Penn State defensive lineman has been recognized as the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Really, really an impressive group that should return significant talent in 2019 as well. The progress that Gross Matos has seen over the last month or six weeks of the season, I think, is you know it's showing up every week. He's playing the run game well, and then he's just a he's a monster off the edge. I mean, he's he's so long. He's got all that length. He's he's athletic. Um, you know, we talked last week about what Sean Spencer had to say about his forty and all that kind of stuff. But here, here's the thing about Gross Matos: he's he's a really athletic kid. He's got the length. He's got the measurables. He's a really good football player in high school. I mean, we, we talk about these raw guys and, and, and Jason Alway and some of these other guys, Zach Harrison, they're athletic freaks and things like that. Gross Matos was a really good athlete, but also I think uh, had 17 or 18 sacks as a senior in high school. He did it uh, did it with the pads on. So um, not really surprised that he's doing what he is doing. Again, you pair him up with Sharif Miller. You, you send Shaka Tony in there, who's uh, been been effective as well. And you've got the, the makings of a good defensive line. And Kevin Gibbons, still not showing up in the stat book, but still doing a lot. You, you notice number 30 out there around the football. Um, he's not the guy cleaning everything up, but he's cha- he's making backs change of direction. He's flushing quarterbacks. He's doing a lot of things. That front four right now, uh, playing fairly well. And against a team like Wisconsin, which you knew exactly what they were going to do. I mean, they, they they stepped up in a big way after, excuse me, after that first drive, they stepped up in a big way and, and, and made some big plays. Sean, five sacks against the Wisconsin team that had surrendered 13 sacks in its first nine games. And those guys walked in after the game, Etor, Sharif, uh, really that whole defensive group, they were wearing smiles. They had some swagger. They knew that this was a, a gut check moment for them against a Wisconsin team that wanted to repeatedly punch them run the ball 45, 50 times, and go home with a win. They didn't allow that to happen, um, and I think they just feasted on Jack Cohn. Obviously, was weighing over his head in his first big-time road environment as a, as a starter for the Badgers, and this defensive line did not provide room to work. And you spoke just long enough for me to look up the stats, Sean. Etor Grossmatos, his senior year of high school, 130 tackles, 21 of those for loss, and 19 sacks. 
That's that's impressive. That's uh, he's he's always been an impressive kid, and he's a really quiet kid too. I mean, he's not a particularly great interview, but that's just just nature. He's never been a talker or anything like that. You get his dad Rob on the phone; he'll talk to you forever. But uh, he turns a little bit different. Um, special teams might go with the win for the special teams player of the week because it was brutal. Jake Pinnegar hit a forty-nine yard field goal uh, into the win. It, it was crazy I mean, because you couldn't really tell which way the win was going. Um, you know, it was supposed to be coming in from the from the north side of the stadium and then you know all of a sudden you look at the south side of the stadium and it's blowing back in the kicker's face so really not much to take from that now Pinnegar we know he's got a strong leg we've seen it before um did miss an extra point uh had the the, the one before the half blocked uh Raf Cheka I think this is probably the guy that I'm turning to for I mean special teams player of the week it really wasn't it really was an uneventful game on special teams which is good for Penn State uh, uh but Raf Cheka notable difference out there than when Justin Tobin's out there and uh he's he's put he didn't put all the balls into the end zone this week but he did a good enough job a couple of fair catches right on the two or three yard line and it worked out well for Penn State yeah and and Pinnegar probably isn't a popular pick here because you know he missed a couple and the extra point that was missed but uh, I'll still give him the nod here because two more from 40 plus in that situation for our listeners who were in the stadium you're well aware of, of how windy it was for us who were in the warm press box. Well, we had an nice vantage point of the flag. So that kind of told us and the general quietness of the fans around us and in front of us. Let us know just what the t- situation was. And for the trust that Franklin has grown and this staff has grown to put in Pinnegar, to send him out there in situations where maybe you go for it or you in no man's land and you, and you try that fourth down conversion or you, maybe you even punt it, try to pin them back. In a, in a field possession move, they trusted him out there, trotted him out there for a couple, for a few long uh, distance field goals. And the one he missed there in the third quarter, I'll tell you what, I had a great vantage point of that one. That was on the money, just a, a, a yard or two shy. Uh, but very easily, as that kick was was moving toward the goalpost, I thought he was going to come away with his second straight home game with three from 40-plus. Uh, and again, he was the first kicker to do that since 2013 when it happened against Iowa. So, uh, I think that that he's moving in the right direction. And you like to see these freshmen kind of moving towards a, a crescendo and these first-year contributors you know, playing their best football late here, setting the stage for more improvements in the offseason. I think he's right around where you would hope he would be, especially off of a, a start to the season in which we didn't see the staff really put him in, in, in situations to succeed or fail beyond 40. Yeah, I think he, he maybe has exceeded those expectations a little bit because the kicks he's missing, he's not missing 30 yards. He's not pushing them. He's coming out. They're, they're trusting him to make some of these. Cause, I mean, we were sitting beside each other in the press box for that 49-yarder into the win, the, the first field goal he hit. And we're thinking, you know, are they direct snapping it to him? He's going to quick kick it. He's going to pooch punt it to do something. Is Blake going to get up and, and throw? And then all of a sudden he kicks it. And we're like, whoa, okay. That. Apparently that just happened. So uh, gave them a 10-7 lead. Penn State never really looked back from there. Um, to recap the game, I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time on it, um, but we're going to pat ourselves on the back from last week's podcast because we said a lot of the things that happened. Jonathan Taylor came out. We told you he's going to get his yards. He ended up with 185 and a touchdown. Outside of that first drive where he ran for all 78 yards, including that really long touchdown, really wasn't a huge factor. And I, I, the Penn State defense buckled down. They, you know, they looked out of place. They looked out 
out of sorts on that first drive, which is not uncommon for for Brent Pry's defense. But uh, they settled down. Taylor, who I think is a really good running back, I thought it was fun to watch him. Um, just really wasn't the guy that you would ex- you know if you looked at the game, you would say Miles Sanders outrushed him and outplayed him. But I mean, it's, uh, he, he he did a good job. Wisconsin ran for 209 yards total. 79 on that or 78 or 79 on that first drive and then Penn State just really shut him down yeah I think Miles Sanders and Jonathan Taylor uh will cross paths on Sunday someday both of them uh showed their ability in a big way on Saturday and you know I think the big thing with Taylor was uh, he's a guy that has been able to exploit creases throughout his two years in college Um, and that's what off this Wisconsin offensive line does such a great job paving that path where if you're a running back with with superior vision with Taylor, which Taylor has proven to be, you know, it makes your job a lot easier with that group in front of you to define it, exploit it, get to the second level. I thought Penn State and this, you know, again, kudos to their off to their defensive front uh, and their linebacker group. I think they did a great job not allowing him to get through the first level without taking on some kind of contact, even if it was just forcing him to bounce it outside, not get necessarily the crease that he was looking for, uh, some some early contact. If the tackle wasn't made right away, felt like a lot of times the next guy was coming in and cleaning that up. And I think a big part of that, Jan Johnson continues to, to warrant more recognition. I think you talk about exceeding expectations this year across the roster. He stands out to me as someone who has consistently dished out hard hits, been where he needs to be in the run game particularly. And then Micah Parsons, the volume he got playing against this, this run team. Let's face it, he finds the ball. And and, he might not make every single tackle that comes his way, but he leads this team in tackles uh, on the season. He led them in tackles against Wisconsin. He played more than 80% of reps at linebacker. So I think you look at this run defense, how they're moving, what they did at Wisconsin, uh, that's a big statement. It was an interesting comment uh, after the game. James Franklin was asked about Parsons, and he talked about the trust that Brent Pry had with Koa Farmer and how long it's taken Koa to build that up. And Micah, undoubtedly the more talented guy, um, is, is still earning that trust. But, you know, once again, we said it last week, this was probably going to be the week that uh, Parsons steps up, snatches those reps, and goes with it. He did that. Um, he said the same thing about Jahan Dotson. Of course, uh, nothing from Brandon Polk on Saturday. A little banged up from what we understand, but still, uh, Jahan Dotson stepped in there. Justin Shorter stepped in, got his first catch. So these kids are starting to come and, and take some of those reps and, and really doing a lot with it. Really impressed with Jahan Dotson, that long catch and run that he had, I think showcased a little bit of his natural football skills. He found some, some creases and picked up some yardage after the catch, which I think is what his game is all about. So those guys did a, did some good things. I think P.J. Mustafer is probably going to be overlooked a little bit. He did some really good things as well. They had them out there on the the, the Beast package or the Rhino package, I think is what uh, what you called it, uh, with the six defensive linemen. So to, to have a true freshman out there along with, the, with Givens and Windsor and Shelton and some of those older guys, uh, I think that says a lot about what they think about him. And, and I think he did a really good job of uh, sort of stretching that out and, uh, pl- and making some plays when he had to. You're not going to lean on him too heavily. Uh, because he is a true freshman, but I think he's made some real strides in the last month. I think you can look at this entire freshman class and the guys who have been given a chance to get involved on all three phases now. They've all made strides. Uh, We talked about the kicking game and Cheka and Pinnegar. Mustafer up front and Parsons and and offensively now the impact is real. Uh, you know Pat Fryermuth's been doing it for about half the season. Um, you know he's got a larger sample size, but now you're seeing Jahan Dotson. You know you know carve out this role that I don't think he's going to give up uh, for the rest of his time on campus as long as he's healthy. He is smooth out there. You know that's what we keep hearing. He's a natural route runner, a natural ball catcher out there, and 
You know, some guys, you know, I think shorter is probably a little bit, you know, you saw him out there in action. We've seen him on the practice field. There's not quite that fluidity that you see with, with Dotson at this point, but the physical intangibles are there. You know, I don't know he had one catch in the game, but he was on the field for both touchdown drives, Justin Shorter. Interesting to note that. Uh, but I will say, you know, Shorter, every catch seems to just either move the chains. And there was one that didn't, I think, if there was the first time in his career. It was a gain of nine on first and ten. But he had that 30-yard pickup that you, that you pointed to on a third and 17. Trace McSorley trusts this kid. Uh, Jahan Dotson, I think, more importantly, trusts himself. He's playing confidently. So it'll be interesting right now. I, th- I think you got to tip your cap uh, to Ricky Ronnie, to James Franklin, uh, for finding a way to make this work and getting Hamler and Dotson on the field at the same time. They, they went right to work on that. And a couple weeks ago, it sounded like you know they were pretty much content to play out the 2018 season with Dotson being the understudy in the slot. You know, Jawan Johnson, we don't know what his availability is. Brandon Polk was not involved. So, you know, outside needed to be addressed. And I thought, you know, it was, it was a nice improvisation for them and an adaption, uh, recognizing the talent that they have ascending and, and Jahan Dotson recognizing a need. And, you know, I think that it, it wasn't, you know, necessarily um, some kind of coincidence that this happened to be the most efficient passing game, not the most productive, but the most efficient passing game Penn State's had in 2018. Probably the most efficient game that, or for at least the first half, the most efficient first half that Ricky Ronnie has called. Um, they mixed some things up. They threw in some different formations. They went to KJ Hamler early and often, which is something you and I have talked about. Uh, you know that uh, you'd really like to see him involved closer to the line of scrimmage and see what happens. Uh, first down, they were t- uh, ten of twelve passing on Saturday, six point four yards per carry on first down. They did give up a sack, but still, that's that's some efficiency to get you in the down and distance that you need to be in still six of 15 on third down so could be better but it was better than Wisconsin who was four for 15 and turned the ball twice uh turned the ball over twice on on third down um like I said we'll go back to Hamler for a second obviously they wanted to get him the ball um you know he finds some seams he went with it and I think that really opened up a lot of things especially for Miles Sanders so getting him the ball spreading that field a little bit uh kind of opened things up for everybody um and I mean without simplifying it too much they ran the damn ball, which I know that's been something for Penn State. You know, you've seen Trace McSorley run the ball a lot. Miles Sanders has been in the low teens for carries, if that at times. Gave him the ball 23 times. He made some things happen. He was patient. The offensive line sort of, uh, you know, I think when this offensive line pay, plays an odd front like a 3-4 or something that's just not a, a straight-up throw-everybody-at-you type of uh, defensive line, they have had success. We saw it against Washington last year. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they were able to run the football. Miles Sanders was good. Miles Sanders caught the ball as well. Um, so I think uh, sort of you, you saw some fluidity this week that you haven't seen in the Big Ten season for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since this uh, ground game put up almost 400 rushing yards on the road to Illinois. You know, that's the Big Ten opener. Since then, a lot of tough sledding. Uh, some good moments for McSorley as a runner, some good moments for Miles Sanders as a runner. But it has not been, you know, from quarter one to quarter four, a game where you're getting consistency out of that group. So I think they answered a bell collectively this past week, uh, you know, ending with the game on Saturday. But we heard the story last week in a session with Miles Sanders. I wrote about this after the game Saturday. You know, him and the running back group uh, made their way on Sunday after that Michigan loss down to the offensive line meeting room. 
It wasn't anything that was coordinated. Uh, they, they did not bring their coach, Jaywan Sider, with them. This was a player's uh, decision. They went down there, and, th- and their mission you know, wasn't to get in the offensive line's face and say, you know, what's the issue here? Why aren't we running the ball more effectively? It was to say, hey, we believe in you. We know that when we're all clicking, we can run the ball how we want to run the ball at any point in the game. Miles Sanders said that needed to be the mentality. And then a few days after he told us that, you know, I, I can't give him all the credit, and I don't know what kind of speech he gave. He said he did all, almost all the talking. But something translated from the week of practice and preparation that was a breakthrough for this group. And it's worth noting, uh, you know, didn't get a chance to ask about it in the post-game press conference, which I'm kind of bummed about, but I know it'll be addressed uh, during Tuesday's press conference. The switch of Ryan Bates and Will Fries uh, at the tackle position, that was something that Mike, uh, Michael Mennett said wasn't really brought up until last week and preparing for Wisconsin. So it was a decision that Ronnie, Lime Grover, Franklin, you know, the people who have input there, um, I, I think it paid off for them. And I think more than anything to me, it showed how valuable Ryan Bates in particular is to this offensive front in his third year as a starter. If I may set the stage, we were in the uh, post-game press conference and it just got done and Tyler comes over and he looks dejected and I look at, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, I had the mic in my hand and they cut me off. So we, we got a two-minute question from some idiot about Wisconsin recruiting or something like that and uh and Tyler is sitting there left with the mic in his hand about to ask about Bates about to ask about the uh, offensive line I'm sure you were going to ask about Mike Miranda who got in for a couple of series uh for for Steven Gonzalez and he just looked he it looked so dejected he felt so bad for him and then of course we got on our board and somebody wanted to know why nobody asked that question so that was fun yeah it was um, like being on deck and and having a chance to you know and, and watching the guy in front of you strike out you know and that was a bit of a strikeout question. We don't know who that guy was that asked the question. I, I like to think it was a fan, and I'm, I'm probably just going to be a story I tell. It'll be a story that gets better uh, season after season when I look back at that press conference. Perfect, perfect. Trace McSorley probably as accurate as he's been for a while. That touchdown strike he threw to DeAndre Tompkins had to feel good because that was a that was a good ball. He got his feet under him. I, he had plenty of zip on it. Really good throws to uh, to some, I think, Penn State dropped two passes on Saturday, which, you know, given the curve that they're playing at was good. Uh, Fryermuth had a drop and I believe it was, uh, it might've been Hamler who had the other drop. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been improvement. Uh, Tompkins is looking better. McSorley got hurt. Trace, uh, excuse me, Tommy Stevens came in, did not throw a pass. He played a good bit of football on Saturday, still did not throw a pass. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like with the, the preparation that he has and the lack of experience he has, he's keeping his eyes down for those running lanes. Uh, of course, set up a potential uh, field goal at the end of the first half with with his legs, but still uh, really missed a wide open KJ Hamler that could have been a touchdown at one point. Uh, but when he gets more experience, I think he'll he'll be okay. It's just a matter of getting those eyes up and, and trusting what he has down there. So that's um, pretty much been your offense, um, smooth, and then kind of went into a shell with the lead. And that's been something that we've seen before. I think that's probably the hallmark of the Franklin teams at Penn State that when Joe Moorhead was not in charge, when they get a lead, you know, you sort of get conservative. You want to take care of the football and you don't take those shots. You don't go uh, you don't go up top. You don't do some of the things that, that got you there in the first place. And I think some of those tendencies have crept back in. We saw that uh, Miles Sanders put the ball on the ground in the red zone. Penn State went right back to the quarterback draw. They went right back to the, the, the short design runs. And it really was was sort of 
a step back from what we saw from Ricky Ronnie in the first half. So I think there's there's warranted criticism there. Um, 22 points is, is is fine when the other team's scoring 10, but this is a probably a game where you should have hit the 30s. So um, it's uh, I think there's warranted criticism there. Penn State, their four-minute offense, obviously they had the fumble with Miles Sanders in the direct snap, but 34 yards in the fourth quarter. They still had 814 time of possession. I'm not really sure how that works out because that's a crazy stat. They took care of the football. They, they did win time of possession, which is great, but uh, they didn't really – I don't think they maximized what they were looking to do on Saturday. Well, I, I will say it was almost night and day in, in how to approach a game with a quarterback who is clearly hobbled and limited by an injury because the Michigan game was everything – a lot of things that you just don't want to do to a quarterback and, and put him in situations. This was textbook. I mean, I know he got hit. I think he got sacked three times, exited the game a little bit. But but overall, I thought they did a great job managing McSorley, putting him in positions uh, to, to, to stay healthy and also to make you know the appropriate uh, quick hitting you know pass plays that are going to keep some of the heat off defensively. Um, and, you know, the completion percentage was there. It was his best completion percentage of the season, uh, 74% plus. Um, you know, you look into this year, his best in a single game was 62% completion. Aside from that, hadn't gotten over 60% once. So I think, you know, the turnovers, the one thing you do want to say is it's not three straight games where there's been some kind of issue on the offense, on the offensive exchange at quarterback, running back. You know, Sanders looked like it was a motion to get the snap directly. But that's three straight weeks. Can't have that happen. Um, but I think overall, only three punts in this game. They had uh, a few drives that, that went really long distance. I, I think they had two drives uh, that went more than five and a half minutes, both of those resulting in field goals. And I settled for some field goals and tips in this game, but only three punts, sustained drives. These are the kind of things that if you can – you know, if you can play up to that level offensively and, and, if, and retrospectively in some of those games where you didn't, it's a completely different season. But I think, you know, there's no – it's never too late to see this kind of game from the offense. Now you want to see it again against Rutgers. You want to see it again uh, because, let's face it, confidence is important for this offense. They've been lacking it. They can finish strong. Uh, you know, I think it would go a long way because uh, they've got guys coming back. They've got a, an offensive coordinator still looking to find his groove in his first year. And to me, I think overall, despite some of the inefficiencies and, and the turnovers, uh, it was the most complete game we've seen them play in 2018 offensively. And time of possession is often overrated. Um, you, you're talking about points and efficiency and everything like that. But when you can get eight more minutes of possession than a Wisconsin team, when you know exactly what they're going to do, they're going to run the football, they're going to try and control the clock and do whatever they have to do to, to keep that score down, that's impressive. Uh, beyond that, Penn State's defense has played so many snaps this year. It's been something over the last month of the season where they have just been on the field so much. No three and outs for Penn State on offense. That's incredible when you think about what they did the week before at Michigan. Uh, now, Wisconsin's defense, nowhere in the stratosphere of Michigan. But at the same time, you, you, you kept the offense off the field. You kept the defensive snap numbers down. I think Dave Jones uh, from, from the Patriot asked the question after the game. Uh, Penn State, I think, had the second most snaps on defense of any school in the country. And that's remarkable when you think about uh, the offenses in the Big Ten. But uh, to, to get those guys off the field, to keep them fresh, it really showed up, especially late in the fourth quarter where you know you, you were able to go at Jack Cohn, Wisconsin. 
by the way, not good at all. Wisconsin's quarterbacks, not good whatsoever. But they were able to get a push after the fumble. And I was standing there on the sideline watching the game after the fumble by Sanders where they had to make a play. I mean, that defensive line just went charging after them. And now they got caught on a screen once, which which John Reed played really well. But they they went charging after them. They got a push and, and, and Cone wasn't ready to deal with that. So I think that's a, a product of the, the lesser number of snaps. And it's a product of having a little bit more fresh legs back there. And, you know, that should benefit them the rest of the yeah, year. And, and we've talked about this now for a big chunk of time with players, with coaches. You know, Franklin more recently has you know addressed the fact that his defense has taken a bunch of snaps. He said they're trying to to manage the time they invest in workouts and being on the field during the course of last week to keep this defense as fresh as possible. But it's such a difficult task to manage. I mean, through nine games, you mentioned Dave Jones was asking that. I checked the stat afterward. They had more defensive snaps than any team in Power 5 football, 721. Uh, that's an average of 80 plays per game your defense is on the field, and it's been worse lately. The last four games before Wisconsin, it was 87 plays per game. Uh, you know, but obviously we talked about it. More efficiency in the passing game to move those chains. Uh, the Miles Sanders averages about three yards more per carry than he had in the past three games, and that's all correlated. And this defense only had to be out there for 57 plays. That's 30 less than the average in the past three weeks, as I said. So, yeah, uh, Mani Oruorie, you know, said exactly that. He said it was huge not to be out there. You know, they their legs were there. The rotation up front defensively was there. And you also saw, um, you know, I think John Reed, Tariq Castro-Fields, um, Amani Arawarie, Nick Scott, and then um, Garrett Taylor, they were all on the field, you know, 85 90% plus because – and they didn't lose a step late because it wasn't 95% of 80 plays. It was 95% of 57 plays. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty remarkable, and I see your hands are just going everywhere. You're really into that uh, into that whole yeah. thing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the DB's got a couple turnovers. Of course, Amani picked off the short pass uh, or the, the the pass that was shorted, and Nick Scott got another, I guess, game clinching interception, which uh, you know he had a lot of field in front of him, but decided to go down safely with that. And Penn State recovered a fumble. Penn State's defense recovered a fumble. It's unbelievable when you think about the bounce that have gone away from them and the and the, the ones that they have not come up with so some big plays out of the defense a fresher defense a better defense you've got some rotations going on the defensive line where I think some of the backups uh, gave them some quality snaps so mention Antonio Shelton again thought he played uh, probably one of his better games as well um, and then four of 15 on third downs for Wisconsin forced two turnovers on third down so Penn State's defense got off the field as well so um, definitely a, a tip of the hat after that first drive they settled in. They did what they had to do. Wisconsin got their yards, only got in the red zone twice and just got three points out of it. But uh, yeah, they really they really buckled down. So Penn State, uh, seven and three right now, chance to win out. Uh, Rutgers and Maryland coming up on the schedule, two games that they obviously should be favored in and should win. You're looking at bowl projections right now. Um, ESPN seems to be on, on board the, the, the trip back to the Fiesta Bowl against West Virginia or UCF. I think the Citrus Bowl is probably the most likely. It's going to depend on what happens in front of Penn State. And, and there's a lot that could happen. If you look at some of the upcoming matchups and, and it, that could impact that top 12 of the college football playoff, Penn State could realistically creep 
creep into that 11 or 12 spot with a with a nine and three record. And I think it's uh, be a product of some of the things that the, I guess the waterfall in front of them. You've got teams like Florida that still have to play. Syracuse get, has Notre Dame this weekend, Texas and and a couple of other schools uh, to watch, certainly there. But still, um, you, you're talking Fiesta Bowl. I thought New Year's Six was dead. All of a sudden, it may not be that far out of the question. Yeah, I mean, look, and while Penn State's uh, at home, not involved in a conference championship, there's going to be some teams ahead of them that get toppled in those title matchups. And uh, I think, you know, they've got a shot here to, to enter, to get themselves in the mix uh, for a really quality bowl game where a win would be, you know, well-respected. And we're talking about, I know there's been some disappointments this year, and, and, and rightfully so, that there's been concerns in several areas about the program and, and, and where things were progressing. But here we are, you know, tail end of the regular season. If they do get to a, a, a marquee bowl matchup of some sort, win that 10th game against a quality opponent, probably a ranked opponent, it's the first, first three-year span, Sean, since 1980 to 1982 in which they would finish with double-digit wins, and I think it would be a good situation. Uh, also, they would finish with three straight years of top 10 rankings in the Associated Press Top 25 poll. That hasn't happened since that 1980-82 to 82 stretch. So I know while we're all living in the moment, game the game, week to week, microanalysis, and, and they didn't beat the three Big East teams that they got to beat to get where they want to be. Grand scheme of things, this three-game spe- stretch, very special um, in terms of, of Penn State football history. You dropped a Big East there. I think you meant Big, Big Ten, Ten, but I guess you're, just, I got Rutgers you're so on the excited to get back yeah, to Rutgers. You, I know. Man, you found the opening, you get didn't home. you? <laughs> I did. I've been listening to it. I've been waiting for it. Um, also, Outback versus Mississippi is one that's been thrown – or excuse me, at Mississippi State, Joe Moorhead. Uh, it's been one that's been thrown around. See, I'm thinking this bowl game. I mean, you, you're talking about where this team was a, a couple of weeks ago, and I still don't – think they're a great team but there's not very many great teams in college football right now so you need a chance at a signature win you saw it last year against washington that was penn state's signature win um you know beyond what they have already i mean wisconsin and iowa are fine whatever pitt uh who's probably going to maybe play in the acc championship game somehow i don't see that as a signature win either you get a chance you go out you play maybe a west virginia in the fiesta bowl uh ucf would would be really interesting to see where they're at but uh, or or a strong sec team which the SEC is kind of in the big uh, Big Ten's bo- boat where you've got a couple of elite teams and you've got a bunch of middle-of-the-road teams. So um, b- being that number one Big Ten versus number one SEC team uh, outside of the playoff, outside of the college football playoff, uh, New Year's Six games, you know, might not be too bad. So I think they need a signature win. They need to push it across. And if you can get 10 wins, that's a it's a great stepping stone, especially where this season looked like it was headed uh, a couple of weeks I ago. i got a crazy stat here, and, and I first saw this from Matt Brown at the Athletic, there are only two teams in Power 5 football with two losses right now. It's LSU and it's Syracuse. Everyone is either unbeaten, has one loss, or has three or more losses. Now, Penn State pushing now towards the top of that pile of three lost teams. And you're right, it's been a strange year in college football and in a lot of these conferences where it's you know, a few teams that look like they can win a championship, <laughs> Alabama above that group, and then everybody somewhere below. But this year, I mean, two teams right now we're talking about before Thanksgiving that have two losses. That's wild. 
And it and it's really nobody that you're convinced is all that much better. I think LSU, you know, is probably at that would be at the top of that three loss if they if they get another loss. But you're talking about Kentucky, you're talking about Florida, yeah, Syracuse. Um, beyond that, I mean, of course, Utah State's having a good year. Washington State's probably going to win the Pac-12, but they could also end up with three losses as well. They have Washington next weekend. They they get the Pac-10 tw- title game against uh, maybe an Arizona State, Texas, Iowa State's a big game coming up. So. There's a lot of matchups that maybe just aren't sexy matchups, but at the same time are, are going to be crucial to Penn State uh, sort of, you know, finishing where they want to finish. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, we're going to talk recruiting probably a little bit later this week. Uh, Noah Kane made it to campus. Devon Ellis made it to campus. A few other guys. Curtis Jacobs was up. Nolan Rucci. Um, but beyond that, not a ton of movement. Probably going to bring in one of our analysts later this week. I, I know it's Rutgers, and I don't want to short you on your Rutgers talk, Tyler, but probably going to talk a little bit more recruiting le- uh, next week. Oh, man, that was that was not a good look I got from you. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with that later this week. Is there anything you want to add coming out of Wisconsin? Any thoughts uh, – on Penn State right now. I just got to say, I know Penn State fans aren't high on this season, but I couldn't help it on Saturday night watching USC lose a miserable showing against Cal about where they've gone since that Rose Bowl with a top quarterback last year, falling, falling, falling. It's tough to stay relevant. It's tough to stay really good. USC was in the top 10 right there with Penn State in that Rose Bowl game. Both those programs looked like their trajectories were pointing up. Penn State has made it through, shown they can – they're really starting to reload a little bit. They're not at that level, but just look what happens at USC. I just think there there are some things to appreciate about this Penn State season, even if 9-3 and three isn't going to blow off the doors for anybody. No doubt, no doubt. And that Michigan State loss, man, that still stings, especially after watching them um, lose to Ohio State the way that they did, not in impressive fashion. Uh, We might talk about that later on this week. Uh, Louisville needs a new coach, and they're probably going to look around the Big Ten. That could have an impact on recruiting David Bell, especially um, at Purdue. So it's going to be going to be interesting, probably a more entertaining show uh, later this week. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what comes your way. We thank you for joining us. Uh, We've gone a little bit longer than we expected to as always but uh thanks for joining us he's tyler donahue i'm sean fitz you can find the lions 24 7 podcast on itunes on spotify pretty much anywhere thanks for listening thanks for sticking with us and we'll, we'll talk to you later this week